Last week our focus was on a single verse from 1 Corinthians. We've been in 1 Corinthians and looking at this book of the Bible, and we're going to go back and look at that verse and some scriptures that surround it. But that verse was simply where Paul said, look, he said, I say this for your own benefit, not to put a restraint on you, but to promote uh, what is appropriate and to secure undistracted devotion to the Lord. That phrase is only found there, undistracted devotion, found there only in the book of 1 Corinthians, nowhere else in the entire Bible. And while Paul talks about a lot of things in that chapter of the Bible, this is his focus in this book. If you'll turn your attention to the ninth chapter, we're going to turn there. Uh, and then look back at chapter 7 and chapter 8 a bit, you'll see that Paul assumes the role of a coach, challenging them to greater commitment. But like a good coach, he doesn't just tell them how to play well. Uh, he, he shows them that by illustrating his own personal commitment. One of the best illustrations I ever had when I was uh, in athletics in school there's a guy in town, his name is Melvin Davis. Melvin is, works for Terminex, and you may know Melvin. Melvin's dad was my, one of my high school football coaches, and I was on the line in high school football, and Melvin's dad one day said, I'm going to show you guys how to break through a double team. And he said we were all dressed out in our pads and our helmet, and he said, let me borrow a helmet. And so... He put on the helmet, and he got down in his three-point stance, and he broke through uh, us like we weren't even there. I remember that like it was yesterday, all of those years ago. What a wonderful lesson it was for me. In chapter 9, verse 25 and 26, Paul tells them about how he lives his life. He says, everyone who competes in the games exercises self-control in all things. They do it then to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. Therefore, I run in such a way as not without aim. I box in such a way as not beating the air, but I discipline my body and make it my slave. I have five suggestions to you from this passage of Scripture about how to live a life of undistracted devotion to the Lord. And here is the first one. Paul calls them to the discipline of devotion. You might know that athletic contests uh, were not a stranger to the community of Corinth. They knew exactly what Paul was talking about. As a matter of fact, they, they held every three years in the city of Corinth the Ithmian Games. Those were second only to the Olympic Games. And the runners in the contest were to commit themselves to 10 months of intensive training before they ever entered the race. The race was to enter them before they entered the race. And Paul said the same thing is true in this race called the Christian life. The race must be in your heart. It must be your passion. Because if it isn't, you won't give it the dedication that it requires. And Paul says there, everyone who competes in the games, or in the King James it might say, everyone who striveth for the mastery. There's a Greek word there that translates that expression, competes in the games. One Greek word, and it is the word agonizomai, from which we get our English word agony or agonize. He said, they, everyone who agonizes in these contests. You've seen that when someone is in the Olympics, someone in a race, someone who gives it everything that they've got. They 
leave it all out there on the track or on the field. And Paul said they're dedicated to the race. And Paul is here illustrating a principle, a biblical principle that's in the Old and the New Testament. It's not a very politically correct principle today, but it is a biblical principle and it is the principle of hard work. It is the principle of giving one's best. So Paul says this to the church at Corinth. You need to run this race called the Christian life like you mean it. You need to run it to please the one who called you. You need to give it all you've got. Living a life of undistracted devotion to the Lord requires the discipline of dedication. But he says, and then in verse 26, look at verse 26. We'll continue to read into chapter 10, verse 5. He says, but I discipline my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. For I do not want you to be unaware, my brethren, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they were drinking from the spiritual rock which followed them. And the rock was Christ. Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not well pleased, for they were laid low in the wilderness. Second, Paul reminds them of the danger of disqualification. Now remember, in the previous verse, Paul told us, he said, look, everyone in a race runs, but only one receives the prize. And now he tells us about all these people who left the promised land on their way to Egypt, who were all under the cloud, all passed through the sea, all ate the same spiritual food, all drank the same spiritual drink, but something happened along the way and a whole generation was disqualified. He said God was not pleased with them. And what happened? A whole generation died in the wilderness and they never reached the promised land. Do you want to be disqualified when you stand before the Lord? You say, Brother Eddie, no Christian is ever going to be disqualified. Well, Paul certainly thought it was possible for him. It's a fact of life. You don't get a reward in the real world unless you put forth some effort. Paul said the same thing is true spiritually. You give it your your all, you remember your calling, and you honor your commitment, or else you wind up like those who died in the wilderness. You wind up disqualified. Now, you say, what does this word disqualified mean? Does it really mean disqualified? Well, we have to look at some other places where the same Greek word is used and it's translated in a different way. In Romans chapter 1, verse 28, the same word, here translated disqualified, is translated depraved. The same word in Hebrews chapter 6, 28, here translated disqualified, is translated in Hebrews worthless. And then in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul says, You need to test yourselves to see if you're in the faith. And certainly you are in the faith unless you fail the test. Same word, disqualified, failing the test, not being pleasing to the Lord. Anyone who's tried out for any sport knows that they're people, gifted players who could have played but never played the game because they didn't have the passion to play and they just didn't do it. And there were other players not so gifted who got to play because they got an E for effort. They did their best. They tried hard. And so in the Christian life, you have to have a passion for it. You have to put everything you have into it. It's one thing to fail. All of us fail. 
It's another thing to fail to try. And some of us aren't putting forth a very good effort. Now Paul says in verse 6, chapter 10, these things happened as examples for us so that we would not crave as they craved evil things. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written. The people sat down to eat and drink and stood up to play. Nor let us act immorally as some of them did, and 23,000 fell in one day. Nor let us try the Lord as some of them did and were destroyed by the serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Number three, Paul warns them of the distractions that lead to destruction. Now, these aren't random stories in our Bible. Paul tells us this. All these things happen in the scripture as examples for us. There are distractions that can draw us away from our commitment to Christ. Paul spent the greater part of chapter 8, chapter 7, and chapter 8 talking to these Corinthians about two things, immorality and idolatry. What is an idol? Well, an idol is anything you put before God. It is first in your life. It is first in your priorities. If you worship an idol, that's probably where you are on Sunday rather than being in the Lord's house. You are worshiping whatever that is you are doing instead of putting the Lord first in your life. Uh, you say, well, I, I'll give a nod to God, but you know I've got to make money, got to survive, got to live. Well, idolatry is also trusting something more than you trust God. Like, like the guy in the Bible who made all those investments, the Bible says he... Jesus said he made these investments and built all these barns and said, I'll store all this stuff, and then I'll prop my feet up and I'll say, man, I've got it made. I can retire. And then he died. And now who's going to have all those things? He was distracted by idolatry, things that came before God in his life, other passions and other priorities. But Paul also warned them about immorality that would lure them away from devotion to Christ. And there was plenty of immorality in Corinth. We have talked about it. Immorality of every flavor was practiced and promoted in that community. Nobody in Corinth had to come out of the closet because they were already out of the closet. And I've already told you about these verses where Paul wrote in chapter 6, verse 9, Do you not know that unrighteousness will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived. Neither fornicators, that's people who commit immorality, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals. In other words, Paul might be saying, man, all this stuff might be cool in your culture, but it'll keep you out of heaven. And then he went on to say in the, in the verse 11, such some of you were. You were like that. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and in the spirit of our God. Obviously, some of those folks had been delivered from such lifestyles. But Paul said, you need to be careful or you'll be tempted to go back to your old ways. Remember what happened to the people in the wilderness. And they were not only disqualified, they were destroyed. They didn't begin the journey with a dedication to live as a to live with an undistracted devotion to the Lord. Now verse 11, just verse 11 of chapter 10. Now these things happened to them as an example, and they were written for our instruction, whom, upon whom the ends of the ages have come. Number four, Paul calls attention to the discernment necessary for living in the last days. Now Paul is talking about 
undistracted devotion to the Lord in chapter 7, verse 35. I told you we were going to go back and look at chapter 7 for just a minute. Just before he talked to them about living a life of undistracted devotion to the Lord, this is what he said. Verse 29 of chapter 7. But this I say, brethren, the time has been shortened. So that from now on, those who have wives should be as though they had none, and those who weep as though they did not weep, and those who rejoice as though they did not rejoice, and those who buy as though they did not possess, and those who use the world as though they did not make full use of it, for the form of this world is passing away. He said, the time has been shortened. There are two Greek words for time. And in English, normally, they're translated Time, but they don't mean the same thing. One means, one of the Greek words is chronos, from which we get our English word chronology, and it means the time on your clock or the time on your phone, if you choose to use that. That's not the word Paul used here. He used another word, kairos, which means season. And he said the season has been shortened. Last year, some, in 2020, somewhere around February or March, did you notice how the season changed? Do you remember spring of 2020? Most of us don't. Because a different season entered our world and things suddenly changed and everything was so different. And we waited for 2020 to be over and for 2021 to get here and we said when 2021 gets here, Everything will get back to normal. Have you noticed the season is still so different? Does it feel different to you? Does it feel that we've been through a season change? Paul said the season's not only changed, it's shortened. It's getting shorter. Our time is getting short. The Bible tells us the clock is ticking. Our opportunity is limiting. Limited. The world is coming to an end, but not, it's not climate change that's going to end the world. The Lord Jesus Christ is going to end the world. So Paul speaks to these Corinthians with a sense of urgency. He tells them the season is winding down. Time is running out. And in light of what he says, we need to be living lives of undistracted devotion to the Lord. We need to give ourselves to the discipline of devotion because the great danger is that we would be disqualified and we need to clear, steer clear of distractions that lead to destruction and practice the discernment necessary for living in the last days. Last verses, 11 and 12, or 12 and 13, I'm sorry, of 1 Corinthians 10. Therefore, let him who thinks he stands, you think you shook all that stuff off your life? All that crud that you used to be involved in? We need to tell Jeremiah, Doug, you, you think you're free of all that? You better be careful lest you fall. No temptation has overtaken you but such as is common to man. And God is faithful who will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you're able, but will with the temptation provide the way of escape so that you will be able to endure it. Number five and finally, Paul reminds them of the desperate need to depend on God in the face of spiritual difficulty. Now, Paul was writing to a church that was in a, in a community that was riddled with rampant immorality and idolatry. Temptation 
was strong and it was everywhere. It was everywhere. Now, is that not true in the world of our day? In this world that we live in where there is gender confusion, political chaos, and crumbling morals, how can you and I possibly live a life of undistracted devotion to the Lord? Well, we need to do a desperate need to depend on God. Did you know there is no new temptation in the world today? You look out and you see all this stuff and you hear all this mess, really, uh, that is going around in our culture, especially in our country. And you think, man, all oh, this is new. This is new stuff. It's not new. It's not new. You go back to the book of Genesis. You read about all this in the book of Genesis. And these, these, this kind of immorality as it marches forward takes on a life of its own and becomes stronger and stronger as more and more and more people embrace it and, uh, and suddenly somebody says, you better get in line or you get out of the way. It becomes a movement of the mob and it overwhelms the community that it thrives in. It happened time and time in Scripture. And there it had overwhelmed the community of Corinth. And God was plucking some of these people out, saving them from those lifestyles. And Paul said, you better be careful in this world that you live in. Nothing's new. There's no new temptation. God knows about all these things. And he will help you. You see, if your passion is to yield to temptation, then that is what you're going to do. Most of us know that because we've already done it. But if your passion is to be faithful to God, he will give you the strength to do that and to escape temptation, whatever temptation that comes along. He will deliver you. In fact, the members of the church at Corinth had been delivered from their world of idolatry and lust and immorality. And yet Paul knew that these temptations would be very real and very strong. And he promised them that they could depend on Christ to help them in the midst of their struggles, to deliver them. And yet at the same time, he warned them, let him that standeth take heed lest he fall. Beware of the distractions that will take you away from your devotion to Christ. And he left them with his own example. He said, look, this is what I do. I discipline my body and I make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified. Let's pray.